like I said earlier, there's data is essentially free. Um, what you do with it is really what matters. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it. Take any car built since 1996 to a mechanic, and one of the first things they'll do is plug your car into a computer. The mechanic's computer is essentially asking your car what's been going on. This kind of makes me think of Star Wars when Han Solo tells C-3PO that he needs to talk to the Millennium Falcon. It turns out that there's a lot your car can tell the mechanic, most of it uninteresting to the mechanic. When one of the many sensors around your car detects a problem, your oil is low or your engine temperature is high, your car shows you a check engine light as if you couldn't handle the details. But your car knows more, much more. Your car knows how fast you're accelerating. It knows how fast you're slowing down. It knows if your airbags have been deployed. It knows the levels of all the fluids and the pressure of the tires and even the quality of the emissions coming out of the tailpipe. For your mechanic, all this information becomes available through a special port in your car called the OBD2 port. They get the engine code from your car's computer and they can look it up, probably online. The people at a company called Automatic had an idea. What if we created a device that would plug into the port on the car and connect your smartphone to your car's computer? Then your pocket C-3PO could talk to your four-wheeled Millennium Falcon, translating engine codes, and much more. It turns out Automatic was onto something. Their device connected your car's computer to your phone, and then their app tracked your trips, monitored your acceleration and deceleration, you know, just to help you save gas, and even connected to a variety of apps so you could expense travel miles, for example, or turn on your thermostat when your car pulls into the driveway. In 2016, the company released a more advanced version of the product. Automatic Pro had its own always-on 3G connection. This meant that it didn't need your smartphone to communicate with the Internet. This opened up new opportunities. Automatic Pro could alert someone if your airbags deployed and even would work if your phone was broken in an accident. If your car was stolen, you'd know exactly where it is. The site touted event-based apps and streaming apps and parking tracking. The old device was recast as Automatic Lite and sold online for 80 bucks, right beside Automatic Pro at $130. And most people bought the Lite version. This was a bit of a problem as the Lite version was lower margin. Automatic didn't make as much money on it as they did on the Pro product. Why weren't people buying the clearly superior Pro version of the product for a few bucks more? Should Automatic just accept that car owners are cheap and adjust their expectations? Fortunately, Conversion Sciences was working with them at the time and tackled this problem for them. Using our sophisticated scientific minds, we devised a strategy for finding out why buyers weren't jumping on the pro product. We asked them. Whenever someone bought an automatic light, we served up one question in a pop-up box on the receipt page. We asked, why didn't you choose the automatic pro? Within two weeks, we had over 150 responses, and these responses were from people who had already been all the way through the purchase process. The pop-up didn't impact conversion rates because it appeared after the sale, after the conversion. And most beautifully of all, it told us what the problem was. After analyzing all the responses, one comment really summed things up. Quote, 
I don't know what live vehicle tracking means. I don't know what event-based apps means. I don't know what streaming apps mean either. In short, the site wasn't doing a good job of helping the visitor choose the right solution for them. So the visitors would default to the cheapest option or default to nothing. This is the classic problem of the pricing page. The job of the pricing page on a website is not to show off all the features. It's to help the buyer choose the right plan or the right product or the right feature set. By modifying the way features were presented on Automatic's pricing page, we made Automatic's pricing page simpler, focusing really on the things that differentiated the two products. And we were able to significantly increase the number of units sold, as well as increase the sales of the profitable Automatic Pro as a percentage of overall sales. This was proven with an A-B split test. This is the power of qualitative data. Qualitative data is that delicious, juicy input that comes directly from buyers and prospects. It's typically gathered in surveys, focus groups, and polls. These can deliver quantitative data, but we love qualitative data for its messiness. It helps us understand how people think about products, how they talk about their problems, and what is really important to them. Of course, the downside of all this messiness is that it's harder to process. We had 150 responses to analyze for automatic. Now imagine if you got thousands of responses a day, every day. These are the problems that Curtis Hill thinks about. He's the CEO of Qualaroo and believes, as I do, that quantitative data means nothing if it's not supplemented with qualitative data. He's coined this phrase, Customer decision analysis. We invented that category after spending uh, really the better part of a year looking at what was missing from the marketing tools or MarTech category. And customer decision analysis, uh, you know, is its core is a very simple idea that if you want to influence the decisions that your customers or users are making about your product or tool or service, um, you have to first understand why they're making why they're making them. And, uh, you know, all the numbers in the world can, can tell you how things are performing, but really the only way to understand why someone made the decision that they did about your product or service is to ask them. Analytics couldn't tell us why customers weren't buying Automatic Pro, just how many they bought. Heatmap reports didn't offer any insights. The only way for us to find out was to ask. And to do this, we needed to be able to target one question to customers who bought the light product. This is what solutions like Qualaroo provide. In this episode, we really dig into the tools that allow marketers to be more creative while gathering the data they need to be effective. And we'll delve into how Qualaroo is using machine learning to make it easier for us to turn thousands of answers into insights we can use. Remember, we are all about using data to be more creative. The term data-driven creativity is not an oxymoron. Now let's get on with the conversation. We start with a story, a story from Curtis on how AI is playing a role in their ability to target the right people, to ask the right questions to, well, you get it. You'll be able to download that case study when it's available. So, well, well we had a customer who came into trial with us. This was uh, early last year. And uh, they, they basically said, look, I'm gathering thousands of text responses each month and uh, they were worried exactly about what you just brought up, Brian, which is um, my team introduces bias because they know what our goals are, right? So when they're reading over these text responses in my surveys, 
they are bucketizing them in one of five buckets. Uh, they were using Six Sigma, you know, uh, lean, I believe, to, to go through all the responses. So they were putting them into up to five buckets. And what was happening is inevitably they were putting them in the buckets that sort of corresponded with their goals. Because, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure how they were rewarded or, or compensated, but, you know, everyone wants to meet their goals. And if you're in charge of putting things in a bucket and uh, you're one, of your, one of your goals is to make one bucket more full than the other, then uh, human nature is going to take over and you're going to find ways to talk yourself into putting things into the bucket that behooves you. So, um, you know, we, we were, were working with them and said, look, IBM's uh, Watson AI is something that will completely eliminate that because it, do, it doesn't introduce any sort of bias. And it's a, it's a platform that's constantly getting smarter. So it, to take a step back, um, the way that IBM trains Watson is by uh, ingesting lots of information from Twitter uh, and other, other sources, but primarily Twitter. And as you probably know, emotions can sometimes run high on Twitter. So, you know, Watson has gotten very good at uh, detecting emotions based on text values, mm -hmm. um, which is something that's amazing. I mean, this is, you know, I spent 11, 12 years actually in the web hosting industry and we were always trying to figure out how to, to sort of boil down text feedback into emotions so we could, act, we could act quicker on it, right? So that is, if you have a customer that's upset and they tell you something negative through your, your chat platform um, or they send an email, we wanted to analyze that and act on it immediately because the faster you act on an upset customer, the, the, the more likely you are to keep that customer from leaving and, and keep them engaged or re-engage them. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really quite magical what IBM has done because we, uh, again, back to this customer, uh, we take, we take you know, up to 1,500 responses a day coming in through one survey and uh, they all go through Watson and it's, it's in real time. So the survey is completed. We take that text feedback, we toss it over to IBM. They analyze it and send, send back to us. Um, they send back a, uh, a single word answer on terms of like if it was a, positive, negative, or neutral comment, that is the whole block of text. So the, the results we get back from IBM include keywords that let you kind of hone in on what's going on with that comment. But more than anything, it's, it's the sentiment that we get back that was actionable because you can put these customers now in three buckets of either positive, negative, or neutral, and uh, in real time, act on that. So we've partnered with uh, folks like Zapier, um, which I'm not sure if, if you've used Zapier before, Brian, but oh, I'm yes. sure... Yeah, lots of marketers love Zapier, and I, I, am, I am so impressed with that space. But and for those that aren't familiar with Zapier, it's a, it's a service like If This Then That, where you can link uh, different services, different um, online applications, and have them talk together. So, for instance, one of the things we use it a lot for is uh, having people sign up on one of our landing pages for uh, on Unbounce landing page for a webinar and piping the results of that form fill over to GoToMeeting or GoToWebinar rather um, and so that they get registered in the GoToWebinar um, set up and go through that whole flow. So Zapier connects these two completely different systems um, through its little bit of genius. That, that's right. And uh, so, so back to this customer. So what we've built for this customer is First off, we, we worked with them on their survey. We looked at their survey from the ground up and said, look, you're asking way too many questions here. Uh, and that's one of the most common uh, mistakes we see in people that are 
that are building feedback platforms is they uh, want to ask every single question to every customer that you know takes the survey. Mm-hmm. And that un- unfortunately is just not the way to do it. What's going to happen is you're going to quickly find that survey fatigue takes over and uh, you're either having customers or users drop off halfway through the survey or just not take the survey to begin with if you have a status bar that tells them it's going to take 20 minutes. So we looked at this customer and said, look, what are your goals with this data? And that's where we always start with Qualaroo. Um, we're a very people-powered business. We like to interact with our customers. It's not something you want to go sign up for online and forget about. We want to actually have a conversation with you about your goals before you get started. And we found that the goals for this particular customer were um, to reduce reduce churn um, and find ways to do, to install, to, to to promote install base growth. So they felt like there was an opportunity in their install base to, to uh, you know, sell to them. Uh, they weren't buying their whole product portfolio yet. So once we've established those goals, we then look at the survey they were using. And if, if my memory serves me correctly, and again, this was, was early last year, I think they were asking 20 questions or so. Hmm. And uh, that's way too many. You know, 20 is way too many. We, we recommend anywhere between five to seven. So we, we looked at these questions. A lot of them, what had happened was, they had uh, this survey running and other departments were jumping in and saying, oh, well, can you ask the customer this because it you know, helps me? And uh, so we did away with a lot of that and said, look, you need to target. You need to target correctly in order to go gather that data. Um, but let's focus on your churn and your install-based growth goal. So we boiled their questions down to seven questions. Uh, and uh, one of them was a free-form text field. And we take that free-form text field. We uh, send it over to Watson. We get the Watson data back. The customer then pipes that data over to Zapier, and Zapier runs a very simple, uh, like you said earlier, basically an if this, then that script that uh, says, hey, if this customer is upset, meaning that uh, Watson has determined that it's a negative sentiment, then email my support team and uh, text the support manager. If they're happy, meaning that Watson has said, hey, this sentiment is good, this customer is most likely happy with your service, then let marketing know, let support know so they can follow up and say, thanks for taking the survey, but let marketing know so they can reach out to this customer and ask them for a case study or to work with us on some content because they're already a promoter of your platform. Why not take advantage of that? And um, what we found, and we need to revisit this with the customer, and and that's what we're doing with this case study, is um, that engagement rates with those customers that were both negative uh, and positive sentiment uh, went up. Um, I don't remember by what percentage we'll, we'll publish that in a case study, but Engagement rates with these customers went up for these these this client of ours, and um, that's a really quite amazing thing because when engagement rates go up, uh, it means your customers are talking to you more, mm-hmm. and that means that they are most likely going to learn more about your product portfolio, um, and your your inside sales team can then take those engagements and turn them into dollars, and that's exactly what's going on. And uh, we use that same method for Qualaroo. I mean, there's lots of features that we want our customers using that uh, we've spent lots of time, sometimes years building that no one uses because they don't know about them. And uh, we use uh, a very similar workflow to the one I just described to introduce new features to customers. Um, and uh, we do that by looking at Watson keywords and seeing what customers are asking us about when they when they do like our net promoter survey, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of really unique ways to use technology like Watson to uh, not only grow your install base, but actually act on act on it from a marketing perspective. And you mentioned that uh, this is this sort of thing is often partnered up with a, a net promoter score, which is a, a pretty typical but rather gross way of measuring customer sentiment. Right. Um, you combine that that data though with this more qualitative and actionable this data 
that lets you know when someone's not happy and allows you to, to route them to a workflow. That, that's right. That's right. We basically boiled down. So Net Promoter, let me take a minute to talk about that because I'm a big fan of Net Promoter. I've been using it for 15 years. And uh, Net Promoter, what a, what a lot of companies um, get wrong when they introduce Net Promoter is they focus on that score, right? And that's because the human brain wants to look at a number and say, I am winning or I am losing. Mm-hmm. And Net Promoter makes that very easy because, you know, it's a simple scale, zero through 10. And if every day you come in and you're a support manager and you see your Net Promoter score going up, um, you, must, you must think, oh, I'm doing pretty well. Net Promoter's going up. But really where all the value at is at in Net Promoter is in the comments, the text comments. So net promoters typically two questions. And, and the first question is, you know, how likely are you to refer us to a friend or colleague? Um, that's the zero or yeah, the zero through 10 scale that everyone's familiar with. And then the next question is the open-ended question, um, which basically says, you know, why would you rate us that way? Why would you, why would you, you know, give us a, a zero or a 10? And that's where all of your gold is really buried in net promoters in that text comment. But back to our, our conversation earlier, um, text comments are hard to bucket and they're hard to manage and there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them. Watson takes all that away and uh, makes that makes that headache go away and boils down text comments into something that you can measure every day um, in the form of uh, sentiment analysis. So um, it's really makes it really makes Net Promoter much more actionable because it means your team doesn't have to go through and read every single one of those text comments. So to me, it sort of refreshed Net Promoter. Um, Net Promoter is something that I love and I've loved using for years, but you know, if you have a small team, it's it's almost impossible to do NPS the correct way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watson makes it a little bit more possible. I've been calling so, AI um, commodity sci-fi. Um, <laughs> just very briefly, is uh, is Watson expensive? Uh, and are there any gotchas? Uh, could someone who is not a uh, PhD in computer math are they going to have any trouble using Watson uh, effectively? Right. I'll, I'll answer your, your, the second part of your question first, then I'll get to the cost. So the answer is a- absolutely not. We've, we've designed Watson uh, integration in Qualaroo to uh, be a click of a button. I mean, and it's literally that you, you build your survey out and if you have a free form text field, a uh, checkbox appears and says, would you like to use Watson sentiment analysis for this question? If you click that, it just works. Like I said, we, we want to make it very easy and approachable to use AI. And uh, that means sort of obfuscating all of the uh, hard parts of it behind the scenes. We let our engineers deal with that. That way your, your team can just log on, create a survey that has a text feedback you know, form. Uh, they can just click a button and uh, enable Watson sentiment analysis. And the next step to that is uh, getting that reporting in our dashboard. So today, Watson data is available when you, most of our customers download their results uh, through a a CSV or Excel file Mm -hmm. and review them with internal tools. We are completely uh, rebuilding our dashboard at Qualaroo from the ground up to focus extensively on reporting. And uh, we're going to make Watson sort of front and center uh, at this refresh in in terms of uh, a lot of our new reporting is built on the availability of Watson data. And it's uh, onto your second part of your question, which is the price. It's extremely cheap. It's, it's, in, it's, it's included in uh, everything except our starter plan at Qualaroo. Hmm. And um, we don't, we don't charge by the response or anything like that with Watson. Uh, it's included in your monthly rate. And, you know, we're very happy to have partnered with IBM to make that uh, possible for our customers. That's amazing. That's great. Where else are we going to start seeing uh, AI and machine learning pop up either uh, there at Qualaroo, or I'm also interested in hearing where you see it 
being used interestingly elsewhere in the marketing stack? My answer is everywhere, but some specifics uh, that I'm really excited about um, when I think about our space is uh, heat mapping. So heat mapping is an interesting thing in the sense that it's valuable because you can see kind of where your users are spending their time on a page, but um, it's not really, it's, it's sort of a, a lagging indicator, right? You can act on what you learn through heat mapping, but you can't do anything in real time. And marketing today is all about real time. Everybody wants the results right away. Um, and they want, you know, they want everything to just sort of work uh, and they want it to work right away. So um, heat mapping, I think what you're going to see is uh, AI applied to heat mapping in, in sense of like, if users are spending more time or more, uh, you know, I guess time's the right value on a certain page of your website, um, AI can, can, can sort of take advantage of that by moving content around. And uh, they can do that by reading, you know, reading the heat map data in real time and saying, you know what, we're getting a lot of visitors to this landing page that we set up for marketers. Um, why don't we put, uh, you know, why don't we move programmatically move this special offer from a page that's not getting a lot of traffic to one that is. And that's a very simple introduction to AI for marketers today. And that's something that I think you'll see a lot of the bigger, uh, the bigger vendors in our space start doing is acting on uh, using the data they're already collecting, like heat map data or session recording data, applying AI techniques to that data and allowing marketers to make more decisions in real time without having to wait, you know, 24 hours to collect data and then another day to analyze it and then another day for your, your uh, development team to make the changes that you've learned mm -hmm. where you start the whole process over again. AI is going to shorten the, the time length of that down to really probably hours uh, at some point in the, in the very near future. So um, I'm really excited about that piece of it. And um, it's going to not, it's, it's, it's sort of a win-win for everybody because it's going to help your end users in the sense that if you have a smart AI sort of platform built that moves content around accordingly or, or looks at your user and determines what they want to see versus what you think they want to see, it helps the user because they find answers to their questions faster and hopefully make a buying decision faster for your product. But it also helps marketers in the sense that you can spend your time focusing on marketing campaigns, thinking about what's next versus, uh, you know, changing the website or reviewing data and having to act on it. Um, let AI deal with all that because uh, AI is very good at looking at data. I mean, computers in general are very good at looking at data and acting on it. Uh, and the thing that they struggle with is being creative. So I think AI is going to open up the ability for marketers to spend more time being creative and less time focused on where to put what content or, you know, where to, where to put these images and things like that. Um, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the, the system, the computer should make all those decisions uh, for you. So you can focus on being creative. Yeah. And that's very exciting to us because the, you know, the, the limiting factor for the kind of uh, conversion optimization that we do is the disciplined serial AB test. And so as machine learning is being brought to number one, help us, identify who we should be targeting. In other words, what visitors are coming that need a fundamentally different experience that if we were to deliver it, we could improve the conversion rates, as well as figuring out what the right content is to present. There are personalization tools out there already that will tell you uh, if a customer is coming in at the top of the funnel or the bottom of the funnel, or if a, a certain behavior pattern indicates that they're ready to buy but it doesn't tell you what content you then should put in front of that customer to bring them to that next step in your process. So as we can take our ideas and kind of dump them into the blender of machine learning 
And in your case, take the real-time results of which pages people are looking at, uh, how far they're scrolling on those pages, what elements their mouse is hovering over, feed that into the machine learning tool and let it arrange things so that those things that get the most attention maybe boil up higher on the page. And then collect some data as to whether that actually is improving your purchase rates or your sign-up rates or your lead rates or your call rates, whatever you're optimizing for. That's very exciting to us. So we can spend more of our time, as you said, on the creative side of things. And that's one of the main things that this podcast really wants to focus on. How are these tools making us, allowing us to be more creative? And I think that, that you just uh, illustrated a situation where once the machine deals with the analysis, we can spend our time on some riskier things. And we know that if, if we go too far and we come up with a crazy idea and it was a bad idea, the users aren't gonna like it, we don't destroy an entire campaign. The machine learns pretty quickly that that is not something that's going to result in an increase in performance. And there's a couple things that marketers are, are struggling with. Um, and number one, we have this cacophony of tools that we can use and they're good they provide value every one of them comes with a learning curve and as the data becomes easier to collect there's more of it and it's easier to misuse so it, it really is overwhelming um, and if you're not careful the, the the data will eat you alive I mean you'll spend all day sort of pouring through data and before you know it it's six o'clock and you haven't looked at the campaign you're supposed to launch next week you're you haven't uh, followed up with the leads that you're trying to convert to SQLs. So, I mean, you just have to be really careful when it comes to that. And, uh, and like I said earlier, there's data is essentially free. What you do with it is really what matters. And that's where we try to spend a lot of our time at helping customers is saying, look, why don't you ask these questions or, or collect this type of data based on this type of goal that you have in your business. And we're, we're constantly refining that process and uh, we're starting to see a lot of adoption uh, in our sales process for customers that are, are seeing eye to eye with us on, on those things. And one thing that comes to mind, a quick story is uh, art.com. So art.com has been a quality customer for a while. And uh, this is a sort of a, uh, an interesting intersection because we were talking about AI earlier. Well, uh, they were doing, uh, they were doing an augmented reality project where they had users. So let me take a step back. They used feedback. Like they used call to determine that, users are uh, less likely to buy art for their wall because they can't visualize how it would look in the space, mm -hmm. um, which that's something I've, I've struggled with that. And, you know, it's, it could be something as simple as simple as you don't know how big uh, a, a painting or a poster is. So you don't know how to look on your wall. Well, what they did is they, uh, they solved that problem by developing a product called AR kit. And it's an augmented reality tool that allows their customers to virtually plan out a gallery in their home. So you take your smartphone, you, you know, you uh, turn the camera on using their AR kit app and uh, you point it at the wall that you want this art to be on. And it'll let you visualize on your phone what that art would look like. It's a very um, elegant sort of answer to a simple problem, which is how will this art look on my wall? Mm -hmm. So I know if I want to buy it or not. And um, so they built this AR kit application and uh, then they deployed a, a, a Qualaroo survey to talk to the customers that are using it. Again, targeted, right? Don't ask everybody how it's going because not everyone's using the AR kit. They know which customers are using it and they use Qualaroo to ask them, hey, 
know, what do you think about this? Uh, have you made a purchase based on the fact that you've used it? You know, just uncovering all kinds of information about that buyer specifically and what they wanted to do or that customer specifically and what they wanted to do based on using the application. And what, what they learned was uh, the, the application needed some tweaks and, and, and things like that. But what they really learned was how to market the application now. They talked to users about how they were using it and they used that data to uh, build campaigns around how to market the AR kit application. And that's a very, uh, a very good use case for any feedback platform because you have a product you spent you know, months or maybe even years building. You know it solves a problem for your users because you asked them about this before you built the product. But if you back into your marketing campaign based on how users are using that product, uh, you will most likely, in, in, in art.com's case, certainly have uh, a higher engagement rate and more conversions uh, based on that because you're building your marketing campaign again based on user feedback and people using that product already. Let's go through some questions and you can answer these as rapid fire as you want. Can I still be uh, just a marketer without worrying about all of these data tools and how long am I going to have a job in digital marketing if I, uh, if I decide to just keep doing it the way we've been doing it? You know, that's a, that's, that's a tough question. I, I, I would say if you're not keeping up with what it, with the digital world today, that is you're not using new tools to move faster and, and move at a rate that is competitive with people that you're trying to win business from, um, you will most likely, you know, move away from marketing at some point. The fact is that our space, the digital space is moving at light speed. And uh, keeping up is just one of the costs of doing business on, online now. And any marketer, no matter what they're selling, most likely has a website and they're probably selling a lot of what, whatever they do on the website. Digital is huge today, as you know. So uh, I would say keeping up with, with you know, the new tools and new uh, ways of doing business in the marketing space is essential to any marketer. And more than anything, it's essential to your business. You know, if you're not, marketing and sales are really what drive growth. I mean, they, they do. I mean, those are the two, two levers in the business you pull when you need to grow. And uh, if your marketing team isn't keeping up with current trends and uh, figuring out how to get to voice of customer much sooner or voice of user, if they're, if they're pre-conversion, they're doing a disservice to the company. And uh, I think that that's going to ultimately be a, a very bad thing for the company. So, uh, you know, that's, that's for like it or not, that's, that's my answer to the question is you have to keep up or you're going to die. Yes, and I like the, the sense of it is a cost of doing business because at that point we can start managing the cost. And for, to your value proposition, if you've got um, vendors that are providing guidance and education, active service to help you get up those learning curves and prevent you from making mistakes, the, your cost of keeping up goes down. Talk about is there a, a maturity point or are there certain triggers at which a marketer or a business um, becomes uh, a no-brainer for a tool uh, like yours for uh, uh, jumping on the, the bandwagon. I suspect you you will say you can use it at any stage of uh, maturity for a marketing department, a marketing group, design firm, etc. But are there um, triggers and key things happening that bring people into the fold? Absolutely. So um, you know we. We fight what I call the unknown quite a bit with customers, meaning that 
you know, they, they've built a product. I mean, if, even if you're very early stage, let's say you have a concept of a product and you have a, uh, an MVP that you've launched and you have people signing up, but they're not sticking around, right? They're not converting to uh, paid users maybe, or maybe they're just not logging into your app anymore. It's, this sounds so simple, but why don't you just ask them why? Quit making decisions in a vacuum about what you think your users are doing and just ask them why. That could start as, you know, if you're an early stage startup, um, I would recommend just picking up the phone and calling someone that has signed up. You know, avoid Qualaroo. Don't even use this until you have web traffic to support that. But get get feedback any way you can if you're early because that, that feedback is what's going to drive the future of your business. And um, I think you, 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 you uh, said it earlier, Brian, that designers do this sometimes where you have one designer making decisions for hundreds or thousands of users based on what that person thinks is the right way to go. Um, and that just doesn't work. The, the odds of you getting it right are so low. So I would say talk to your users in every step of your funnel and find out you know, why they're making the decisions that they are so you can then influence that decision the next time it's made. And Qualaroo, for, for what it's worth, I think that we, we belong in every step of the funnel right down to uh, onboarding. You know, how was your onboarding experience after you've gone through sales? And those are, because you should always be optimizing your funnel, right? Every marketer knows that. You should always be looking at your funnel from, uh, you know, cradle to grave to find out, you know, what you can do to convert more traffic to paid users. And your sales team should be focused on that as well. Your support team should be focused on preventing churn and keeping those customers longer. And really the secret sauce there is just talk to your users, find out what they're doing, find out what they need from you and make sure that you're still solving a viable business problem for them. Yes. Yes. Uh, I love that feedback. So we're, um, we're about to have some noise here. Um, but we're at the top of the hour and I've asked all of my questions. Um, <laughs> so when we get past, there's a British girl's going to announce that the front door is open here. In a minute. <laughs> um, uh, because my hour is up. Uh, but final comments is basically what's left. And I also failed to ask you if there was anything in particular that you wanted me to address. So if there's anything you'd like to add on the, the little time we have left. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, look, my, my main, uh, if, if, if your users want to get, take anything away from our, our chat today, which I hope they do, there's a lot of good stuff here. I think it's that, you know, feedback is important and I know it's complicated. I know it can be hard to manage and it's something that constantly takes a back burner. But if you think about it holistically, feedback really drives your business. Feedback will tell you, it's a secret sauce that tells you, these are the things you can go do to grow your business. And uh, every business that I've been a part of is focused on growth. I mean, that's kind of like, that's the whole goal is growing mm -hmm. the business. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not focused on growth, I don't know, maybe, you know, there's probably ways we can help you, but we're, 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 we want to work with growth focused businesses and feedback and acting on that feedback more importantly will help you do that. It will help you grow your business. There's, there's not a, it may be, it's not a, you know, it, it might be a shot in the dark. No, feedback will tell you exactly what you need to do. Managing that feedback, gathering that feedback, and acting on it are the things that you have to spend time on. So managing that feedback, acting on that feedback, and, uh, and, and learning what to do with it in general are the things that are going to drive your business growth. And it, it can be frustrating, especially for small, small businesses or, or startups that you make all these changes, you invent this great product that you think everyone will love and no one buys it. Mm -hmm. um, why? Why don't they buy it? Oh, it must be this. It must be that. Stop guessing. Just yeah. go out and ask users. And uh, if you do that, you it will pay dividends. I guarantee it. Well, and we are getting, we are using feedback all the time. It's just the grossest, most lagging feedback, which is sales, typically. That, yeah, That's yeah, our feedback. So why can't we refine 
our feedback, get it in more real time, and get enough details such that we can take specific action. That, that's right. Sales and, and revenue in general are lagging indicators of how your business are doing, right? So, I mean, the, the activities you start today probably won't pay off for another three months. Marketing takes time. We all know that. So, you have to be sure that the stuff you're doing today is built purposeful and uh, feedback needs to be a big part of that purpose. What are customers asking for and, and are you delivering it? Well, this has been a very interesting uh, call. I feel like I know Kualaru so much better. So glad <laughs> to hear that you're uh, here in the great state of Texas with us. So Absolutely. I didn't realize that. And I appreciate you taking so much time with me. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a lot of fun for me as well. And, um, you know, I'd love to do it again sometime. Maybe uh, maybe we'll get you down to the office next time or I can come up to Austin. Yeah, especially after you've got your heat map product out and can talk about that. That should be yeah. really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll keep you guys in the loop on that for sure. All right. I'm just curious, what's the time frame on that? Is that something that will happen this year or is that next year? This year, we're primarily focused on uh, the reporting dashboard. So I doubt you'll see anything before Q4 from us regarding heat maps. Okay. But <clears throat> it's uh, never say never. It could happen. But most of our team is focused on uh, building a world-class reporting dashboard for customers. Great. All right. Well, I'll let you get on with your day. And uh, thanks again. Sure thing, Brian. Take care now. Bye. Bye-bye. Great conversation with Curtis Morris from Qualaroo. Now, here's something you can do when you get back to the office. The technique we use to understand how to sell more automatic pro devices is called a thank you page survey. And I believe it should be a part of every website that processes sales, subscriptions, or registrations of any kind. The question you typically ask is, what almost kept you from buying today? Or, what almost kept you from signing up today? I think this is more effective than net promoter scores or asking for feedback from visitors before they buy because, number one, the respondent has completed the entire process. They're well-versed in the entire journey. And number two, a psychological effect called liking makes them like you more simply because they chose you. This means you'll have a much higher completion rate for your question. The best time to ask them to do something is right after they've bought from you. That's liking in action. The tools mentioned in this episode to help you with your experimenting are, of course, Qualaroo, but also Zapier, Salesforce, IBM Watson, Hotjar, and SessionCam. Looking for more tools or want links to these? Head on over to conversionsciences.com. You can get all of these links in our show notes. All right, scientists, that's it for this week.